Precious Father, we come before you today. About heads and humble hearts, you're saying thank you. Thank you for the opportunity which you allowed us to see yet another day that was not promised. For the opportunity to be able to hear your word, the opportunity to be able to enter into your courts and your gates with praise and thanksgiving, to sit at your feet, to hear from you. So Lord, speak for thy servants listen. Holy Spirit, we thank you for being our guide in all truth. We thank you for being our convictor, our comforter. We thank you for being our help in the time of need. Lord Jesus, we thank you for being our sacrificial lamb, for the blood in which you shed that covers us to allow us to enter into this very holy, sacred moment. So be with us, Lord, as we go through the Holy Scriptures, as we go through the word of your Father, of your servants. Teach us as you taught back then. Teach us now. Be the great teacher which you were, that you are, and that you will continue to be. Help us to hear your voice and to stay focused. To not lose sight of who you are, who we are, and what you have called us to do. And we'll be careful to give you all thanks, praise, honor, and glory that is due to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today's message will be coming out of Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. And as you're turning there and finding your place, how many of you have played the game Tag? Yes, the game tag. How many remember how the game is played? You know, you pick a person and you say, okay, you're it first. When that person gets somewhere and they count to 10 with their eyes closed while everyone else scatters. Right? And everybody's running away in their own separate direction. The person who's it opens their eyes and they begin to pursue somebody. Now, I don't know about y'all, but when I played the game tag and I was running away from somebody and they tagged me, I immediately stopped in my tracks, turned direction, and began to chase after the person who tagged me. Two reasons. One, they got me, so I got to get them. It's just a competitive spirit in me. Two, it's because if they tagged me, they were in close proximity to me. So I tried to tag them real quick and get back away. But if I could not tag them and they took off and they were faster than me, I would run as hard as I could, as long as I could. I would pump my arms as fast as I could, lift my feet up and put them down as fast and as quick as I could. But one thing I did not do was look behind me. I did not look to my left. I did not look to my right. I was zoned and honed in on the back of the person who tagged me. If they made it to the tree line before me and they hooked the left, 
I ran fast and fast as hard as I could so I could get around the corner so I could keep my eyes on them. Because I wanted to get them. But whoever I chased, whomever it was, I never took my eyes off that person. Because the game of tag is to tag somebody. And the purpose of the person who is not it is to get away from the person who is it. So I would follow whoever it was that was in my sight. Now you might be saying, to yourself right now, okay, no, where are you going with this? What, what, what is the point of this? Well, today I want to talk about tracking after God. So in shorthand, and for all the note takers, today's title is called Tag. Today's message is titled Tag. T-A-G, tracking after God. Now, I'll be reading out the King James Version, starting at verse 12 of chapter 3 of Philippians and ending at verse 14. And the scripture reads, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Verse 14, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now in tracking after God, I want us to understand the word tracking. According to the Webster's Dictionary, the word tracking is defined as a line of traveling or motion and or a line of reasoning or thought. Now, a few synonyms to the word tracking are seek out, find, run down, and my favorite, apprehend. Apprehend, my favorite one. Now, right here in verse 12, the writer Paul begins with this. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that 
for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. In my mind, my holy imagination, I see Paul in prison because that's where he wrote the book of Philippians from. Under candlelight. And it's flickering. He has a pen. And he begins to pen out this letter. But he gets right here in chapter 3 to the 12th verse. And as I see him writing, he stops. And he begins to ponder. He begins to go down memory lane and he's reminiscing. He's remembering the day in which he was apprehended. He says that I follow after if that I may apprehend that which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. So here he is identifying that he has been apprehended by Jesus. And I, my mind, I see him thinking about the day that he received that letter from the high priest, according to the book of Acts in the ninth chapter, where he received permission from the governors and those and the powers that be at that time to go apprehend Christians and put them in prison, to sentence them to the courts for them to be executed, to be persecuted, to be beat, to be killed. He receives this letter and he's riding with a company of people. He's on his way to go arrest people. He's on his way to go apprehend people for breaking the law of the Jewish culture and believing in a risen Messiah. Which they said not only is it false and against the law, but it was blasphemy, which is punishable unto death. He has his letter in his hand and I'm seeing him thinking about it. That day he had the letter in his hand, how proud he was of his worldly success. How proud he was to be Saul of Tarsus, to be from the tribe of Benjamin, to be of dual citizenship of Jerusalem and of Rome. To be the head of this party of people to go hunting down the breakers of the law. These liars. These blasphemers. To think in his own mind that I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. I follow the law to the T. That there's none better than me, Saul of Tarsus. And I'm doing the greatest work that could ever be done in the name of God. But something happened that day. As he turned on the road to head to Damascus, the Bible says that a bright light shone so bright around him that it knocked him off his beast. And when he fell down, he says he heard a voice that says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And immediately, because of the supernatural effects that just happened to Paul, to Saul, he immediately identified that this has got to be the Lord. So Paul's words were, Lord, who are thou? And he said, it is me, Saul, Jesus, whom thou persecutest. So they have a dialogue there. 
And Jesus tells Paul that he is now being commissioned into the army, into the family of Christ to do the work of God. But he told him this also that he would have to get up and he would have to go to the street called straight. And stay in the end because there God would send somebody to him. To give him his sight. back. See, Paul was living one way and he was going one way and he can only see things one way. He can only see things his way. He can only see the things of the world's way. So he was headed in his way. But on the path of his way, he ran into somebody else. And his name was Jesus. So Paul, almighty Saul of Tarsus, got up, blinded. All he could rely on is his ears, his sense of smell, and his taste. He could not see which direction he was going. So he had to trust the people who were with him to take him to the street straight. He had to trust that the words in which he heard were actually true. And, and they were actually spirit filled. That it was actually God who was speaking to him. He had to put his faith in this or he would be blind. So he went to the street straight. And the Bible says he did not eat for three days. Nor drink. Can you imagine that you being able to see one day and then boom, in a matter of seconds, in a moment, you can't see. Well, this happened to Paul. This happened to Saul. And he went there and God sent Ananias, like he said, on the third, on the third day. And he gave him his sight back. I see Paul at the table right now or on the rock. And he's thinking as he's writing upon this parchment of paper, he's thinking about the day and he too ran into Jesus. Let me share something with you, a little bit about myself. Some of you may know, some of you may not know. But there was a point in time in my life, some years ago, where I couldn't help myself. I was wrapped up in a web, I wrapped up, wrapped up in a web of infidelity. I was wrapped up in a web of pornography. I could not stop watching porn. I could not stop drinking alcohol. I could not stop drinking liquor. I could not stop smoking cigarettes. I could not stop smoking weed. I could not stop popping pills. I could not stop running the streets and being with the homeboys all the way to the wee hours of the night. I could not stop and I was slowly deteriorating. But then I had a son, Isaiah. And his mother told me I needed to choose. She wanted me to stop smoking, stop watching porn, stop running, running the streets with the homeboys, to stop drinking, to stop doing all that I was doing. But I did not have the strength nor the know-how to do it. But she wanted me to be something that I could not be. She wanted me to become something that I could not be nor knew how to be. So she put me at a place to where I had to choose. And in the midst of choosing and being torn between a conflict that was raging inside of me, I had nowhere and no one to reach to. Because of my pride and maybe being feeling ashamed, I did not go to my brother and ask him for help. 
I did not turn to my dad, to my father and ask him, dad, how do I help? How do I stop this? I saw I kept on fighting and trying to accomplish a task that was unaccomplishable. I was trying to climb a mountain that I could not scale. I was trying to jump a hurdle that I could not make it over. So I went along stumbling. I went along struggling and it got worse and it got worse and it got worse. But one Sunday morning, I got a call from my mom. She said, meet me at the church. I said, mom, I'm not going to church. She said, meet me at the church. You and your family. I told my mom, I said, mom, I don't want to go to church. She said, why? I said, because I'm not going to go in this place. And when this pastor said, stand there, say this after me and do all this, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go through all that motions and I'm going to do it. But when I leave that church, I know what I'm going to do. I know I'm going to drink. I know I'm going to smoke. I know I'm going back to profane language coming out of my mouth. I know I'm going to pull my pants back under my behind. I know this. And I feel that if I go in this place and I do this, that God is going to forgive me. But then me walking out is like me spitting a loogie in his face because I, what he just forgave me for, I'm about to go do again. And I don't care if anyone else on the face of the earth is mad at me, but I don't want him mad at me. Long story short, I ended up going to church, y'all. <laughs> you ever heard it said, tell God your plans and he'll laugh at them? Well, I went to church. And as I'm sitting in the church, I'm watching this play they had. And I got my son in my hands and tears running down my face. Conflicted inside with the battle that I had been fighting for the, the years, the months, the days. How do I become that which my family needs? My daughter, my son, the woman of my life at the time. How do I become that which they need? I didn't know how. But I remember saying in the inside of me. Help me. I don't know who I was talking to, but I said, help me. Shortly after that, I got a knock on the door in my parents' house. And it was the police. They said they had come looking for me because they had a warrant for my arrest and I went to jail. Now, I went to jail and the world seen it as I had been arrested. I had seen it as I had been arrested. But it was there in that very place in Bell County Jail where I received salvation. And instantly I began to realize something that I had not been arrested, I had been rescued. That when I said, Help me. That God has sent out a team of rescuers 
He had sent out a search party for me. And it just so happened to come in the form of a police officer. Now, this doesn't go for everybody. I want to make this clear. But for me, it was a rescue. That God did not separate me from the world to separate me from my family. God did not take me from the world to separate me from the world. God did not take me from the world to separate me from my mom, my dad, my brother, my sister, my girl at the time, my kids. He did not do that. God arrested me. He took me from the world so that he could get the world out of me because he had to save me. And he did not save me from the world. He did not save me from my family. He did not save me from my friends. He saved me from me because I was destroying myself. And I could not stop it. I was going so fast in the fast lane that my days were beginning to become a blur. I would drink a gallon on a Monday and on Tuesday or Wednesday, I was drinking four gallons. I was destroying the very thing which God had blessed me with. So God had to save me from me. When those handcuffs went around my wrist, And I went into the county jail. It was then there that God had apprehended me. It was not me being arrested. It was me being rescued. Me being saved from me. Because in this place, of solitude and isolation, all that which I was strong up with and could not overcome and I could not fight was now taken away from me. And it was there in that place that God began to strengthen me, began to teach me and mold me how to become that which my family needed, how to say no to the temptations that were in front of me, to take away the desires that I was fell so easily to at any given time. But see, that's my story. So I can kind of relate to Paul right there as he's writing in prison, in jail, and he stops and he thinks about the day he was apprehended. Now I want to try to do something for me for one moment, for a few seconds. Close your eyes. Go back down memory's lane. Go back through your mind's eye. Go to the very day in which you were apprehended. The day in which you gave your life to Christ. Can you go there? Now as you sit there and you bask in that moment. Can you remember what you were going through then? Can you remember what pushed you to this point? Can you remember? Because if you can remember, I want to share something with you in the, coming out of the book of Acts in the 17th chapter, around the 26th and the 28th verse. It says that God had appointed that time. 
Before that time arose, it was already written down in history by God in heaven that this would be the day in which I met. The day that the police officers came and put those handcuffs on me and they took me to the Bell County Jail, it was the day that God had already appointed in stone that in that ring, in that very moment, in that circle, that Noah and God would meet. That very moment when Paul had that letter going to Damascus Road, it was already written in stone. And it was there at that very moment that God and Saul would meet and his name would change to Paul. If you can think of the day in which you were saved, that was the very moment in which God had already written in history that he would create the parameters, that he would make the spot, that he would allow the situation to arise. He would allow everything in the cosmos to be able to turn and be able to work to that very point. That's how good of a God we got. That God had already wrote that, you know what, in 2009, on this very day, Noah and I are going to talk. The day you received salvation, it was already wrote that on that day, you and God were going to talk. Why? Because in the book of Matthew, in the sixth chapter, Jesus is preaching, and he gives everybody knows the verse, but he was preaching and he was teaching. It seems that everybody forgets to, to they forget. All that led up to this very verse that Jesus was talking to the people and he was like, how much more important are you than the sparrows or the lilies of the field? Why are you worrying about what you can wear? Why are you worried about the necessities of life? Basically, why are you worrying about and putting your focus on these earthly things when your father in heaven deems you more important and more value than the birds of the air and the, and the flowers of the field or the grass? In other words, Jesus was saying, you're so wrapped up. Why are we so wrapped up in the things of this world when all we have to do, verse 33 of Matthew chapter 6, is seek God first, his kingdom first, and his righteousness, and all that will be added unto you. That in other words, if you would seek after God first in his righteousness, then all of necessities of life will be added to you. Why would Jesus say this? Because in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 6, he says that we got to seek the Lord while he still may be found. We have to seek God while he still may be found. You know, in the book of Genesis, and, and everybody knows the story of Noah, not me, but the story of Noah and saving the ark, that the ark was so big because it held two of every kind of animal, sevens of some kinds of animal, that God told Noah and his family to get on the ark. And the scripture says, God closed the door. That door was so big that it could not be closed by Noah or the animals that God had to close the door. That means that there was still an opportunity for other people to get on the boat. There was still an opportunity for people to change their mind and begin to see that, okay, this may not be crazy. I'm going to get on the boat. But they didn't. As the door of grace was open, they did not enter into that door of grace. Is somebody hearing me today? The door of grace is open and we have to enter into it before God closes the door and we cannot seek him. He cannot be found anymore. The salvation will not be at hand anymore because it, when the rain began to descend, the door was already shut and then people began to bang on the door. Because while they had a chance, they ignored it. Mm. We can't ignore our chance. 
We cannot ignore our chance. But Paul says here in verse 12, he says, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Paul is saying, I chase after Jesus to get back that which he has taken from me. What does God have of yours? What did Jesus have of yours? Paul says that Jesus has my faith, so I'm chasing after Jesus' faith. Paul says that Jesus has my heart, so I'm chasing after Jesus' heart. Paul says that Jesus has my soul, so I'm chasing after Jesus' soul. Paul is saying that whatever Jesus had taken from him, he is chasing Jesus to get his from Jesus. Not to get his soul back, but I want your soul, Jesus. Not to get his heart back, but I want your heart, Jesus. Not to get the things that Jesus had taken from him. But to get those things in return from Jesus. Jesus, I gave you my faith. I give you my trust. Now I want your faith and your trust back. So Paul says, I'm apprehending it. In other words, what is Paul saying? He's saying that I had faith yesterday and I seen God move yesterday. It's a brand new day. The faith that I had yesterday is not good enough to have the faith that I need to make it through today. Why? Because I seen God move yesterday and I want to see him move again today. And the Bible says we grow from faith to faith. So therefore, the faith that I had yesterday is not sufficient for the faith that I had today if I want to see God in a new way. I must grow in my faith. I must grow in following after God, tracking after God. God, I seen you move yesterday. I seen the miracles you did yesterday, but I want to see the miracles that you had for me today. And if they're new miracles, then I need new faith. If I seen you do something extraordinary yesterday, I want to see you do something extra extraordinary today. So I'm going to need extra faith. Paul says, I am waking up every day with a new aspiration and an expectation to see God in a new way. And the only way to do that is I must continue to track after God. Because when Jesus crosses over the bridge, I got to cross over the bridge too. And when Jesus crosses over the bridge and I cross over the bridge, I'm going to see something new because I'm following after him who's already apprehended me. And I'm trying to get it a little bit back from him. Verse 13, he says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to the things which are before. In this very same chapter, if we go back to verse 7, Paul is writing to the Philippians and he realizes something, that he was the Pharisee, the Pharisee, that he come from the tribe of Benjamin, that he has a dual citizenship, that he has the teaching of Jerusalem and he has the teaching of Rome, that he was the Pharisee, the Pharisee, that he was the greatest of the great. He was the best of the best in keeping the law. But when he stopped and he took all those worldly aspirations and achievements and accomplishments and he put them on the wall and he put them on the scale to knowing Christ. He says, they're of no value. He says, I count all that which I had gained before I met Christ as nothing. They hold no value compared to the value of my relationship with Jesus. Hmm. My relationship with my friends, my position at the workship, at the workplace, excuse me. My education, my finances, my marriage, in some cases, my family, in some cases, do not have more value in my life 
and then the relationship that I have with Jesus. Paul is saying to the Philippians and to us today that we have to get to a point where we can see those things which we have gained in this world and look at them in the eyes of a scale and weigh it to the salvation that we have in Jesus, the relationship that we have with Jesus and say, do they even compare? Paul says they don't compare. Paul says I count them as dung. He counts them as a pile of feces from an animal. He counts them as rubbish. He says it's nothing. Nothing in this world compares to my relationship with Jesus. He says my worldly successes don't compare. My worldly morals, my worldly learning, my closest of friends, my closest of family, none of that compares. None of it compares to the relationship which I have in Jesus, the relationship I have with Jesus, the salvation that I got with Jesus. I love you, but I don't love you enough to go to hell. I love you, but I don't have love you enough to disrespect my Lord and Savior. I love you, but I don't love you enough to speak in my Lord's face. I love you and I love you, uh, but I don't love you enough to turn my back on my Lord and say, why? Because you hold no value when it comes to the day that I stand before the Almighty. There's only one that's gonna get me in there and his name is Jesus and it's not you. I love you, but I gotta let you go. I love you, but you cannot be first in my life before my Lord and Savior. Jesus gives a parable in Luke chapter 9. He says, the man who puts his hands to the plow and begins to plow, but yet looks over his shoulder in a continuous state. That person then is not fit for the kingdom of God. Why? Because the kingdom of God is not behind you. The kingdom of God is before you. He said, behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. That means right now it is before your very face. He did not say it's in the past. We've got to realize that when you're driving down a car, down the highway, and you're driving a car, the windshield is the biggest window on your vehicle. Why? Because what is important is before you. And if you realize that if you all the mirrors that you look in to see what was behind you are small in comparison to the windshield. Because if you're driving looking in reverse, what's going to happen? I can guarantee you two things are going to happen. One, you're going to swerve either to the left or to the right. Two, you're going to crash. And in the midst of a crash, you just don't hurt yourself. You hurt people around you. So Paul says that one thing I do is I forget those things behind me. Because in the comparison to what that which is before me, that which I'm chasing after, that which I'm tracking after, it holds way more value than that which was behind me. So I count that as nothing. I count it as loss. I walked over that river already. I'm not going to go back to that river and try to walk over it again. I've already passed that hill. So I'm going on to the next one. Paul is telling us that we must get our scales out. And we must weigh those things which we think are important or those things that we hold dear to our heart. And weigh them against your relationship with Jesus. Your marriage, if your marriage should be built upon that value of Jesus. But if your kids and your family outweigh the value of Jesus, 
Paul is saying, you need to correct that. Because it's nothing compared to your relationship with Jesus. Why? Because in the days in which we stand before the throne of God for judgment, what's going to matter is your relationship with Jesus and Jesus alone. That's what's going to matter. So we got to quit looking in the rear view and we got to continue to look forward. Nothing's wrong with glancing in the rear view, but we cannot stay in the rear view. We cannot stay in the past. There's nothing wrong with looking in the past. Remember where you just traveled from. Remember where you come from. But he says, do not dwell there. Do not stay there. We got to stay focused on what that which is before us and track after that which is before us. Why? Because in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 18, God says, forget the former things. And behold, I do anew. Look upon, scrutinize upon, examine closely. I do something new that is before you. <laughs> Let me explain something to you. <laughs> Listen, God said, forget your old life because he has a new life for you. Forget the old way you used to talk. The old profanity that used to come out of your mouth. The old in the end those that used to come out of your mouth. He said, forget the way you used to talk because I got a new tongue for you. I got a new language for you. I got a new talk for you. Forget the way you used to walk and how you used to wear your pants. How you used to act out in, in, in public. How you used to carry yourself and present yourself because I got a new identity for you. I got a new walk for you. I got a new character for you. I got a new personality for you. He says, forget that old way. Forget the past because I got a new future for you. Listen, according to the scripture, God has something new for you, and it's only for you. He says, behold, I do something new. But before he said, behold, I do something new, he says, forget the former. He's not saying erase it out of your memory. He says, let it go. Don't live there no more. Take a step out of your comfort zone. Yeah, the comfort zone is good. It's called a comfort zone for a reason because it feels good. But the sad thing about a comfort zone is nothing new grows there. Nothing new comes to your comfort zone because if you don't get out of the comfort zone, you can never experience anything new. So God is saying, step out of the comfort zone. And like he told Peter, step out of the boat and enter into the new because I got something new for you and it's only for you. But are you willing to track after God? Are you willing to take that step, that next step of faith after God to see something new from God? You can only see as much of God and you can only have as much as God in this lifetime. You can only get it in this lifetime. Predicated upon how much you go after him. Did you know you can have as much God here in earth? Right now, as you will in heaven. You can have that same amount of God that you're going to have in heaven. You can have it now. You can have it now. How do I know this? How do I know this? Because the Bible says right here. He says, I forget those things which are behind and I'm reaching forward. It means I'm, I'm grabbing. 
I'm searching for. I'm expecting those things which are before me. And the Bible says in Isaiah that God has something new that is before you. Before you can get the new that is before you, he says you must get out of the comfort zone. You must forget that thing of the past that got you hold, that got you held down, that's got you shackled down. You, you got to forget that thing and you have to step into the new. You have to be expecting, ready for the new. Because if your focus is on the new, you have no time to focus on that which was behind. If you're focusing on the what may be from God, you have no time to think about that which was from the enemy. Now, I want you to listen to me, listen to me careful. The new that God has for you may be different from the new that God has for me. It may be different from the new that God has for your neighbor. But you can guarantee, considering your life, your circumstances and the situation you may be in, if it's a financial crisis, God has something new for you in your finances. If it's a marital problem, God has something new in your marital situation. If it is a, a relationship problem amongst your family, God has something new in the midst of it. But the first thing he said is you got to let go. You have to forgive. You have to forgive that. And you have to step out of that comfort zone and step out of the boat because he has something new for you there. Because in that new place, you're going to have to have new faith. Paul said, I'm chapter after the end, which God God has of me. What Jesus has of me, I'm chasing to get that from Jesus. So if Jesus has a miracle for you, you have to track after him. You must go where he goes. You must step where he steps. Because in the midst of that, there is a new faith. And a new faith reveals a new God. Not as if we have plural gods, but it reveals a new aspect of God that you do not know. How do I know this? Because the Bible says the just will live by faith from faith. That we see God in a new glory from faith to faith. So the faith that we had now, that we had yesterday, we must add on to that faith. We must experience a new faith to experience a new part of God. And Paul says, so I forget about yesterday and I search for it today. I don't think about last week. I look forward to next week. I don't look at two hours ago. I look at two hours ahead. I'm chasing after that which is ahead. I'm focused on the things that God has before me because the things which are behind me are behind me and can do me no good. They don't bring me a profit to the right now. They don't do me any good for the tomorrow. But I have to do what I got to do right now. For the future. Because I'm focusing on that which is ahead of me. How do I know these things? Because in verse 14, Paul says, I press toward. That means I go forward. That means I'm pushing forward. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He's saying, I am going towards it. I'm not stopping. I'm not stalling. I'm not pitting patting. I'm not looking around and walking in circles. He says, I'm going straight. I'm going in a direction. That means I have a place where I know where I'm going. I have a purpose in every step that I take. I have a purpose in every word that I speak. I have a purpose in every action that I do because I am going forward. And the, the direction that I'm going is in the direction of God. Why is he doing that? He said, because there's a mark. 
That means there's a bullseye. You know, in archery, when you pull back the bow and arrow, there's a red dot, and that's called a bullseye. That's the mark. He probably says, I see the mark. I see the target, and that target is Jesus, and I'm apprehending Jesus. I'm tracking after Jesus because that is my target. That is my target. I want to be more like Jesus. I don't want to be the cheating husband. I want to be a faithful husband, and if I want to learn how to be faithful, I got to chase after he who is faithful. If I want to be the one that does not lie and I want to be truthful, I got to chase after him who is truthful so I can learn it. God wants you, needs us, desires us to track after him because everything which we struggle with, he has the answer for. If you get bit by a snake, a poisonous snake, you need something that is called an antidote to take away the poison. If you're struggling with sin, the poison of your life, whether it be alcohol, whether it be drugs, whether it be cigarettes, whether it be cheating, whether it be lying, whether it be being abusive, whether it's just being able to start something and not finish it, whatever the case may be that you need the antidote, God has it. God has the antidote. God has the antidote. And Paul says, I'm chasing it. So in the game tag, what is it? You know, tag, you're it. What is that it? In God's tag, that it is the high calling. That it is the high calling that God has for you. It is the high calling that God has for you. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 43. And we'll be reading verse 10 to 13. As you're turning there, think about that. The high calling of God for your life. When you picture the high calling that God has on your life, where is it at? It's definitely not behind you. It's not to the left of you or to the right of you. It's in front of you. We may not have apprehended it yet, but it has apprehended us. We may not reach the kingdom of God yet, but the kingdom of God has already reached us. We may not see Jesus face to face yet, but he has seen us face to face. In other words, we have been apprehended. Yeah, we belong. Yeah, we've been got. Yeah, we've been tagged. And though we may not have been apprehended, there are some things we have yet to apprehend. We want to be more like Jesus. We may not be exactly like Jesus. But there's some things of us that are just like Jesus. So keep on pushing. Keep going towards the high calling because in the Bible, it says that high calling is the prize. It is the reward that is laying before us. You know, you get the reward in a race once you pass the finish line. Paul says, I fought the good fight of faith. Paul says, I know the race that I'm racing. I'm not, I'm not like a boxer who beats the air and swings at nothing. I know what I'm doing. I know where I'm going because I have a purpose in it, and it's the high calling that's right in front of me. 
Paul says, I have not taken my eyes off the back of Jesus. I have not taken my eyes off the footsteps that he left in the sand. I am following after him. I am tracking after him. I am going to apprehend him. But what is the high calling? Isaiah chapter 43, verse 10 through 13 reads this. You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe and understand that I am he. Before me, there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I even I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. I have declared and have saved. I have showed when there was no strange God among you. Therefore, you are my witnesses, says the Lord, that I am God. Yeah, yes. Before the day was, I am he, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. I will work, and who shall let it? Oh, man, let's praise the Lord on that one. Let's look what it says. First, the high calling is, is this, that you are God's witnesses. You are God's servant who he has chosen. According to the to scripture right here in verse 10, he says that why has he called you his witnesses? Then why has he chosen you? He says, because I did all that. I have appointed the time that you and I should speak because I want you to know and to believe me and to understand me that I am he. The high calling of God, the prize in knowing Jesus and having his value of his of your relationship extinct, and held precious to you. Why? Because one, you're God's witness. Two, he has chosen you. Three, he did all that. He has appointed that time so that you may know no one else that you may know and that you may believe and that you may understand that he is God. And before him. There is no God. And after him, there is no God. He says that he also wants you to know. He wants you to believe and he wants you to understand, according to verse 11, that he is the Lord. And besides him, there is no Savior. Salvation alone is found in him and him alone. Deliverance is found in him and him alone. He says there is no Savior from yourself. There is no Savior from your sin or from what you hung up on. There is no deliverance. Outside of him. The next thing, the next thing he says he wants you to know, wants you to believe and understand and witness about is that he has declared means that he has spoke. That means he has said and is still going because he has spoke. Have you realized again in the beginning that God spoke, let there be light and there still is light. And light will continue to be light until God says, let this light stop shining. Have you realized that God has set the sun in the sky and said, rise and told the moon to set. He told the sun to go down, to set, and the moon to rise. Have you realized that God has set things in order, in a perpetual order that would never stop until he says stop? He says he wants you to understand that he has declared. So when he spoke a word, that word is still in effect. Oh, somebody hear me today. That means that God spoke over your life, that word is still in effect. If God has spoken over you, that word is still in effect. He, he said, I want you to know, I want you to understand, I want you to believe, and I want you to witness to people that I speak. And when I speak, it's settled. Two, he wants you to know that he saved you. Three, he wants you to know that he showed you that there is no other God but him. There is no other God but him. He has shown you in your life when death has knocked at your door. 
that he answered the door and said, not today. When all was lost and there was no way that he made the way, it didn't just fall in your lap. He put it there. He wants you to know this, that he is the one who did this. And he repeats it again. The end of verse 12. You are my witnesses. What are we witnesses for? That I am God. We are the witnesses of God to proclaim that Jesus Christ is the son of God and that he is the savior to all those who need him. He is the healer to all those who need healing. He is the deliverer from all those who need delivering. He is the exalter to those who need to be exalted. He is the cleanser to those who need to be cleansed. He is the forgiver for those who need to be forgiven. That we are his witnesses that he is God and that he did what he said he would do throughout the scriptures. And he's brought it forth to this world in the form of the man, the God child, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Verse 13, he doesn't stop there. He says, yes. Before the day was, before there was a, a day, before there was a sun, before there was a moon, before there was anything. He says, I am he and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. Jesus regurgitates his very thing when he says, my father is the great shepherd. He, Jesus says, I'm the shepherd, but there is one who's stronger than me, my father, and no one can deliver him out of no one can deliver out of his hand. What does that mean? Let me explain something to you. If God said you're saved, you're saved. Quit believing in cheap grace. That your sin is strong enough to pull you out of the hand of God. If your sin was not strong enough to stop God from sending Jesus, how is your sin strong enough to stop God from loving you? Your sin is not greater than the power of God. The power of God is greater than anything. Let's 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 grab a hold to that, y'all. Quit believing that I could do wrong and God will desert me and discard me. If that was the case, then God would never have saved you. But God had to save us because everything we were doing in our earthly manly power was not enough. So God went above and beyond to make it enough. He says. Yes, before the day was, I am he. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. I will work. And who shall let it? In other words, when God does something, he doesn't need your permission. He needs no one's permission. We cannot stop him when he moves. When he moves, he moves. And I like that end of that verse. He says, I will work. And you know what he's working on? The new. The new for you, God is working. He is working all things out for your good. He is making the crooked path straight, the high hills low, the valleys even ground, the swelling of the Jordan, the trickle of a stream. God is making a new for you. But remember what he said. Forget that which is behind. Behold, I do a new. The prize and the high calling in Christ Jesus is that you are now belong to God. You're his witnesses. We are. 
You are his servant who he's chosen. To do what? To show you that you may know, believe, and understand that he is God and there is no other. Now salvation rests in him and him alone. He speaks and what he speaks gets done. He saves and no one can reverse it. He shows mighty miracles, mercy, grace, love, and many, many, many wonders to prove to you that he is God. He's shown you that there is no other God but him. He says, you are my witnesses. You are my witnesses. We have been apprehended. God has tagged us. Said, you're it. Now look to the person closest to you. Reach out and touch them. And say, tag. You're it. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for this moment that you allow us to gather and hear your word. Lord, let us continue to track after you. And as we track after you, everybody we run into, let us touch them and say, tag, you're it. And as they begin to follow us, let them follow us. As Paul said, follow me for I follow Christ. If they don't know in the direction which they go, Lord, put it in their heart. Follow me because I'm following Christ. But let it be shown in our everyday action that we're tracking after him. Let our faith not be the same faith that we had yesterday that becomes stagnant, but let it be fresh and anew. Let us see you in a new way that we have never seen you before. Father God, rain down on this place. Allow your, your holy presence to fill this place. Let the chains fall off of us, Lord. Let us forget the former things. Let us step out of our comfort zone and step into the new, Lord, because you have something new for us. Let us step into the deep. As you told Peter, cast our net into the deep that we may catch a new fish, that we may catch the lot. Lord, give us the strength to just take one more step, to have just a little bit more faith. Let us track after you as you attract us down. Let us apprehend you, whether it be a small portion or a great amount. Let us apprehend of you that which you have apprehended of us. And as we leave today, but never from your presence, let the words of our mouth, the thoughts of our mind, and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable unto you. And we'll be careful to give you all things, praise, honor, and glory. And it's in your precious holy name we pray. Amen.